As we were designing our Bread of Heaven sermon series, we just kept finding more and more bread stories. And the more bread stories we found, the more that added to our list, the more that we had, the more we couldn't fit in. But this story seemed critical, this story of the Last Supper. And so here it is today on a day when afterwards we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, the disciples said to Jesus, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover meal? Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with, his, with, with my disciples? And this man will show you a large room upstairs already furnished. Prepare for us there. The disciples left, came into the city, found everything just as Jesus had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. That evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. During the meal, Jesus said, I assure you, that one of you will betray me, someone eating with me. Deeply saddened, each of them asked one by one, it's not me, is it? And Jesus answered, it's one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. The human one goes to his death, just as this is written about him, but how terrible for the one who betrays the human one. It would have been better for him if he had never been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he, get, he took a cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. I assure you, that I won't drink wine again until that day when I drink it in a new way in God's kingdom. And after singing songs of praise, they went together out to the Mount of Olives. Please pray with me. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the Beatles album, Abbey Road, celebrated its 50th anniversary this year. And when talking about that, one critic claimed, the Beatles are like bread. She reflected on their message of unity and peace and everyone belonging together. She intensified their significance, further saying, the Beatles are like oxygen. In other words, the Beatles are critical. They're necessary for human life. John Lennon did get in trouble because he said the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. So maybe this comment is just all part of that same thread. Whatever was pivotal and life-changing about the Beatles then remains part of the conversation now, 50 years later. But for 2,000 years, people have been saying the same thing about Jesus. Jesus is like bread. In other words, critical and necessary for human life. Whatever was pivotal and life-changing about Jesus then 
is pivotal and life-changing about Jesus now. And this story is part of that life-changing piece for us. You can read this story in several ancient texts. You can read it in all four Gospels, which is unique among some of the stories about Jesus. And the one that we just heard is almost the oldest version. Paul writes to the people of Corinth um, and tells the same story, and his writing is probably a little bit older than Mark's retelling of the story, and therefore a little bit closer to the time of Jesus. But Mark is uh, by far the oldest of the gospel writers. He's writing for a community of people who knew the sons of the men who carried Jesus' cross. So they were just uh, one generation removed from Jesus. Mark was writing to a community that needed the courage to live for God's love, even when that meant persecution and threat. And even though we don't know much about who wrote the Gospel of Mark, up to and including whether Mark was a man or a woman, with whether the author's name was Mark to begin with, um, we do know that Mark presents a unifying vision of who Jesus is and what Jesus is about, that Jesus is trying to preach the gospel of love in a world where that is not the norm. So, uh, and we also know that Mark's original audience would have heard the entirety of Mark all in one sitting, kind of like binge-watching a Netflix series. What we just did, heard just a little clip of uh, the gospel of Mark, is a little bit more like watching uh, a feature-length film in three-minute clips over the course of a year. So uh, if you've got 70 minutes this week, binge read the Gospel of Mark just to see what it's like. I know that some of our wilderness hikers were challenged to do the same. It's the shortest gospel. You probably will watch at least 70 minutes of Netflix or other TV this week. So take 70 of those minutes uh, and binge read a book of the Bible. Why not? Uh, but for us, because we probably didn't binge read the uh, beginning of the Gospel of Mark before we got here this morning, uh, here's a little bit to set the scene. Jesus has been ministering to the people. He's been um, healing and preaching and um, sitting alongside them, eating meals with them, um, and he knows that um, it's almost the end for him. He knows that the powers that be are upset. Uh, Jesus is preaching this message of hope that is more countercultural than the religious and governmental leaders can really handle at a time when everybody is coming into Jerusalem. So Jesus' message of healing the sick and eating with people and feeding the poor and giving power to the powerless and letting love win, these are all too radical of a message. And in a world where these things weren't and maybe still aren't happening, they were simple but treasonous messages of hope. And so Jesus knew that he was going to be killed. And so he has his disciples gather around a table with him, and he reframes his death in a new way. He says his own sacrifice of his life is for the sake of this message of love, that nothing can separate you from God's love. 
And Jesus' death, ultimately, after this dinner, was part of the chaos of a holiday weekend. Everyone was in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. It was like New York, uh, it was like Times Square on New Year's Eve, or the Red Line before a World Series Cubs game, or like Kenilworth Avenue on Christmas Eve. It was packed. Everyone's family was in town. Hotels were were full. Everyone had catered their dinners months in advance. There were people to be fed, emotions were high, family drama was at full scale. No one had an extra inch of elbow room. Stress levels were through the roof. And scholars say that outdoor ovens popped up all over Jerusalem like, quote, mushrooms after the rain so that the bakers could sustain the crowds with bread. So bread matters. This bread from heaven mattered. Uh, Bread mattered then in Jesus' day, and bread continues to matter for us now. And just um, thinking about the ways that bread has uh, impacted the the world today doesn't take too much digging. In in Sudan, uh, it began with bread. In December, people took to the street to protest the rising price of bread, which led to a military takeover that's only just now kind of beginning to be resolved. In Zimbabwe this month, protests began because of soaring bread uh, prices and fuel shortages that have caused most citizens to plunge deep into poverty. And halfway around the globe, in an attempt to prevent that kind of economic collapse in Argentina, the president just this month eliminated a tax on bread to provide relief to the poor. And Bread does this thing of relocating and displacing people, too. Four million Venezuelans fled their country in recent years because of a bread shortage. And 1.4 million of those Venezuelans landed in Colombia, where some of our high school students uh, learned intimately about their journeys while they were serving in Bogota in Colombia on their mission trip this summer. And this month, Uh, The Venezuelan um, migrant babies, 24,000 of them who were born in Colombia because of this bread shortage, were given citizenship in Colombia. The president of Colombia said, Today, Colombia gives this message to the world. To those who want to use xenophobia for political goals, we take the path of brotherhood. Bread matters. Bread stands at the center of our global migration crisis. Bread stands at the center of peaceful protests that turn violent. Bread stands at the center of that economic freefall that sends a food-secure family to the bread lines. But any bread crisis in 2019 is really a crisis of ethics. Today, famine and food shortage has more to do with unjust rulers than it does with a lack of bread. There's more than enough food to go around, if only those with power make it possible. Bread matters. Bread matters in a way that is core to how we understand God. And I didn't know this. I don't know how I missed this. It's such a beautiful um, metaphor for understanding our relationship to God. The word Lord literally means bread keeper. So, When we pray, Lord, hear our prayer, we're really praying, bread keeper, hear our prayer. And it really shouldn't be that surprising, really. Each week we pray this prayer, give us our daily bread. 
And so the Lord's Prayer then is the breadkeeper's prayer. And it goes like this, breadkeeper, give us this day our daily bread. So put that way, the prayer seems a little bit more intimate, a little more familiar, a little bit more reasonable too. Giving bread seems like something the breadkeeper can do. Give us bread, O breadkeeper. Our language about God is wrapped up in our language about bread. In a similar way, maybe you've heard that the more words you have to describe something, the more important that thing is, right? Uh, Artists might have 30 or 40 different ways to describe the colors of yellow that are in in the art in our sanctuary. And Christians have as many words for this meal that we will share here, this meal of bread and cup that we are talking about today. We call it the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, communion. They all are pointing to this same thing of sharing together in Jesus' name. But the Eucharist means thanksgiving, and communion means that coming together. And the Lord's Supper and the Last Supper point us back to the story that we just heard, that time when Jesus gathered in an upper room a borrowed, at a borrowed table and took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Took, blessed, broke, gave. Four verbs that matter. Took, blessed, broke, gave. I don't know about for you, but for me, there are very few minute, uh, moments in my life that play out kind of like a movie where you can like still kind of watch the camera pan in and zoom in on little details of things that happened to you. But my ordination service is one of those moments, those movie moments. I remember standing in the back of the sanctuary before the service, and my mind can still zoom in on that piece of paper that those words were written on. Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Those words took, blessed, broke, gave were there in large print standing out from the rest. The large print copy had been uh, given to me from a friend, Stacy, a new friend who ended up presiding at our wedding who had been ordained just a few months before. And she knew that I needed that piece of paper to remind me to emphasize those important verbs. Took, blessed, broke, gave. I would say those words in just a few minutes while presiding over communion for the first time on the day of my ordination, probably very awkwardly, but everyone loved me just the same. And now I've said those words hundreds of times uh, here at Kenilworth Union Church and um, around the globe. Um, But again, today, I wonder what they mean. Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. We uh, tell uh, families that anyone is welcome at the table, that the youngest in your family is welcome at this table because all of us encounter something mysterious about this bread that was blessed and broken and given for us and that it's in the encounter of taking that bread again and again that is offered to us, that we learn about what it means. Our language about God is wrapped up in our language about bread. Bread matters. Social scientists even say that bread is what makes civilization. Before there was grain that we cultivated, we were a nomadic people. We 
But once we planted and tended the wheat, we began to stay in one place. We could stay in that one place because there were enough calories to stay and because we wanted to take care of this grain that we were growing. The oldest grindstone in existence is 8,000 years old, and there's evidence of humans processing wild grain some 22,000 years ago. So bread is wrapped up in what it means to be human. Unthinkable numbers of generations have taken the bread and blessed it and broken it into enough pieces to share and given it to one another. And you've done it too, taken the bread and blessed it and broken it into enough pieces to share and given it to your dinner guests, your family, your hungry friends on a hike. Take, bless, broke, gave. Sometimes, sometimes communion can be awkward, right? Sometimes you tear off a piece of bread and it's huge and you're wondering, did I, did I take too much? Am I taking more than my fair share? Or you pull off one of those wimpy little teeny tiny pieces that surely won't be able to dip into the, into the communion uh, cup. Uh, and, and so we, we don't always know how to do this well, this sharing of bread in this kind of ritual way. But then there's seven-year-old Zoe, my, uh, a, a child at my colleague's church. For weeks, she came to communion service where the bread was blessed and broken and given, the cup was poured, prayers were said, the story of Jesus was told. And most people took one of those little small pieces of bread to dip into the cup. Some took that awkward teeny tiny piece. But Zoe, without fail, every week, tore off a chunk of bread, sometimes half the loaf. And from that piece, that half the loaf that she had, she would then tear off a little smaller piece and dip that in the cup and eat that piece then and there. And she'd take her bigger piece back to her pew and snack on that hunk of bread for the rest of the service. And Zoe did this week after week. She would ask after church if she could take home the leftover communion bread, which of course her pastor said yes to. Uh, but finally, my friend, her pastor, felt nudged to just ask just to be curious with Zoe about all of this, not, not to reprimand her that she was taking too much bread, but just to find out what does this mean to you? And so she, the pastor approached her, you really, you really like communion bread, don't you? And Zoe said, yeah, I really like the God bread. The God bread, my friend asked, puzzled. Well, Zoe said, and she held out that piece of bread that she was still nibbling on. God gives us bread as a gift every week, and God does everything for us. God gave us Jesus, and even though people killed him, God brought him back for us, and God still gives us this bread. And she handed a piece of her bread to the pastor and said, I like that you talk about that every week. That's as simple as it gets. Take and bless and break and give. Talk about it every week. So the pastor asked, so is that, Zoe, why you take such a large piece of bread? Yeah, I mean, this is the bread from God, she said. Why wouldn't I want a big piece? Bread matters. Bread matters to me, to you, to all of us. This bread from God, this bread from heaven 
this gift of God that God keeps giving us week after week. This bread that Jesus sacrificed his life for, this bread that means that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So let us live for the sake of this bread that matters, this, and let us live for the one who we call the bread of life, this one who lays down his life for the sake of this message of love, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Amen.